0: Citizens subjected to punitive restrictions on their liberties and movement for more than 12 months are now being forced into mass and what will soon be mandatory vaccination programs to gain back their freedoms. Political leaders continue to use the vacuous and dishonest slogan of following the science – that many still believe, but are they leading us into another form of hell? The COVID-19 vaccines are still in the trial phase, which ends at earliest in 2023. Brilliant they may well be, and enormously enriching for their investors, but is government providing the facts for informed choice in vaccination? Are there other risks to their rushed vaccine rollouts, including to frontline medical and essential service workers. And why are so many eminent scientists and influential community leaders in our countries being silenced by social and mainstream media? In Australia, the Victorian government recently commissioned a paper entitled Antibody Dependent Enhancement and SARS-CoV-2 Vaccines and Therapies. Professor Dolores Cahill is an expert in immunology and the study of immune systems. Professor Dolores Cahill, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Lovely to be with you, Mike, great.
0: Now, when the pandemic was declared in March 11, 2020, you said the chance of dying was one in 1.8 million people, but the chance of having an adverse reaction with the vaccine is one in 50. Professor, can you tell us briefly about mRNA vaccines and how they differ from vaccines that we are familiar with at the moment?
1: Yeah, very, thank you, Mike, thank you for having me on and hello to all the Australians there and everyone around the world listening to this. Yes, so I think actuarially, you know, on average, uh, if people were to say for all of the average vaccines up until 2020, uh, the chances of people having an adverse event or severe adverse event or death from any all the va- vaccines was one in 50, so 2%. But when I came out, I was saying these mRNA uh, injections or gene therapy, right, they're not really vaccines, That from the animal studies, either half or 100% of the animals in the studies died. And they did not die immediately. They may be relatively fine they may be tired or unwell after the mRNA injection but when they came across the whatever was injected whether it was RSV or dengue or coronavirus in this case that in some studies all of the animals died Um, and so that would mean that the potential harm of an mRNA injection would be really significant and so I came out in May 2020 so over a year ago to highlight there are prevention and treatments that are fabulous, you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, hydroxychloroquine and zinc, ivermectin and others, which are some of the safest treatments in the world and Nobel prize winning. So therefore there was no need for an mRNA injection and there was no need for anyone to die if doctors gave the possible treatment. So you're talking about harm benefit. So if you have coronavirus, If you give prevention and treatment, no one need die. There is no need for these mRNA injections and the mRNA injections cause huge harm. So they don't make any sense. It would be like saying, you know, you have a a cancer and I'm going to treat you with something that's either going to kill half or all of the people that get the so-called treatment and that the treatment is worse than the disease. And also just to say, until 2020, zero mRNA injections or vaccines were approved in the whole world anywhere, even though they've been trying to make mRNA injections or vaccines for 50 years. And the reason why none of them were approved is that when they went into the safety studies in animals or humans, they caused such severe illness, harm and death that they were never regulated or approved and currently for the mRNA ones. They are not approved, they just have emergency use. They are all in clinical trials and we are seeing huge adverse events and death immediately after the injection. But the problem may be that in the months and years to come, when whatever is in the injection is circulating, for example, the coronavirus in a year or two, people will die with symptoms of chronic fatigue and organ failure, and I came out a year ago to say that these were really a predicted future adverse event of the vaccine and people should make the connection.
0: We're told some of these vaccines are up to 95% effective. Effective against what? And does it include future variants?
1: So I think that would be a misrepresentation, right? Because these uh, in a lot of these we do need to get access to the vials in what's called a biorepository so that There is really no independent oversight for what is really injected into people. There is no oversight for whether the batch to batch variation and no real oversight. What is the ratio of placebo? This is a clinical trial versus the mRNA um, injection. Um, So, you know, I would be very um, skeptical of the people making money and manufacturing these for what does that mean because it has been well reported that just injecting with the spike protein does not protect someone from getting the symptoms of influenza-like illness um, and also does not protect them from transmitting of a virus at all. And the governments are saying that people still have to, you know, do things which they shouldn't have to social distance and quarantining. So there is actually zero benefit to the people being injected or society from these ones. And I think it's an entirely misrepresentation to say they are 95% effective.
0: What is antibody dependent enhancement or ADE? And how relevant is this to SARS-CoV-2 vaccines?
1: So really what it is, is people who are getting these injections, that they think that they are going to be have their immune system stimulated so that they will be protected. Um, but actually, why zero of these mRNA injections or vaccines were licensed is that these mRNA actually prime the immune system, not to protect them from a virus, but actually turn your own immune system on your own body quite rapidly. And in the animal studies, either severely made sick or killed all of the animals in the animal study. So there are a number of names for, you know, this injection or vaccine, essentially destroying people's health and killing them. And the names are antibody-dependent enhancement. So it's actually the mRNA enhances the illness. It enhances the disease. The other names for it are cytokine storm, immune priming, Immune super priming, and all of those are to tell people there's a warning in the name cytotoxic storm. It is that the mRNA ramps up the immune system against a viral protein. They turn the people that are injected into a genetically modified organism. You are making a viral protein. Your immune system has been evolved for millions of years to get rid of the viral protein. The viral protein can integrate into your cells and your organs, so your own immune system starts attacking. Now, depending on how you respond, which may be relative to how many times you've come across whatever the infectious agent is in the vaccine, or if you've been previously vaccinated, you will make an immune response T and B cell, and they will start to try and get rid of the viral protein. If the viral protein is in your heart or your spleen or your pancreas or in your lungs, your immune system will attack your own cells. You will go very quickly when you come across it into chronic fatigue, and then you will be exhausted. Your organs will start to fail. And then you will go. You will present as someone who's in sepsis or essentially dying. And it's not entirely clear if you've been injected. And we'll say there's another circulating coronavirus in a year or two years or three years that you could actually go downhill rapidly within two or three weeks Um, and it's not entirely clear how those people will be rescued so i have said for the last year people should not get this i think the clinical trials in the world should be stopped because for decades if you have death and adverse events in the clinical trial in the whole world they should be stopped in one care home alone in ireland in january 20th 51 people were injected and 26 of them died out of 51 within five weeks. So in a normal clinical trial around the world, that would be a signal. We know Rainer um eight people died in one care home in Berlin from the first injection, 19 people died out of 31 in the same care home in total after two injections. So just in two care homes, we have 57 deaths directly within uh, two to five weeks after the injection. So what's going on, um, and those people are dying because of the immune system being stimulated and causing them to be severely sick and die within weeks, but younger people will die within months, if not years. I would be saying their life expectancy would be reduced significantly, even people, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Nobody should take any more of these mRNA. In fact, if I had the ability, I would injunct the governments around the world to stop them injecting, And there should be absolutely no injection of any children, uh, any young people, and certainly not any uh, pregnant or breastfeeding uh, women as well.
0: Many of the evil drugs out there, there's a few of those, uh, all associated with early treatment, uh, ivermectin with zinc, hydroxychloroquine with zinc, um, I don't know about zinc with zinc, uh, vitamins, um, simple things, things that have done extremely well over the years are not dangerous Nobel Prize winners of sorts why when this, from a from a medical viewpoint why is the medical fraternity then allowing the vaccines to occur and not pushing more because there's not enough pushing it is it just fear by compliance the early treatment programs
1: So I think what's being done actually is undermining the scientific and medical professions worldwide. But you know, I'm very honored to be president of the World Doctors Alliance and we have more than 150,000 medical professionals. And also I'm president of the World Freedom Alliance. We have over 110 countries now we're working together. So in a way there are many doctors and nurses and carers speaking out to try and make these, you know, Nobel Prize winning like vitamin D, vitamin C, ivermectin and as you say you know save one of the safest drugs in the world hydroxychloroquine and zinc and ivermectin available so i think it's not that ordinary medical and scientists who when they realize that they are pushing to try and get these treatments available because especially the elderly they are in fear because they think they are going to die whereas we would reduce the fear if the media the health professionals and the politicians just told them they are life-saving treatments, including vitamin D, which, you know, everyone's a supplement and you can get it by getting sunshine. So I think the really good news is that for every other flu season, including for influenza, that people will now know there are fabulous prevention and treatments available. And in fact, I would be saying we don't need any of the injections or vaccines for influenza. You know, the annual ones? that actually those are causing more harm than good. So what we see is really that the people in the top of many professions, including the regulated professions, you know, the medical councils for the doctors and the nurses and the civil servants, the ministers for health and the prime ministers and the courts are actually working against the health of the people and the people are the ones that work and pay the salaries because a lot of these are civil and public servants and the courts are being closed and the police in all our countries are engaging in criminal and unlawful behavior by stopping us exercising our rights of freedom of speech freedom of assembly and they you know the police the courts the media all of them are preventing life-saving treatment being communicated um, and also to cause fear is actually and the media are crimes against humanity so what we kind of see is a tear in all of our societies synchronized around the world that are undermining the health of the people so it's not just the medical thing and it's unlawful and criminal and um we can see though that for 20 or 30 years people like me who are trying to raise issues about adverse events associated with vaccines, instead of all arms really of our countries, and I've been involved in advising the Irish government for 10 years and working in the European Union for over 15 years, that when you try to raise issues, instead of them being receptive, they were essentially trying to coerce or you know, exclude you or trying to intimidate you or isolate you, you know, and now we have it that is obviously more extreme. They are deliberately censoring us and a lot of our employers and government organizations and the police are essentially, you know, either trying to coerce us uh, or to threaten us with losing our profession or losing our livelihood, um, and then they're writing articles that are untrue about those. So I think it's not all of these medical communities. Um, it may be that people have been promoted to the top, who have gone along with this agenda for the last 20, 30 years, you know, but there are many good people in the world. So I have great hope. And lastly, just say, Mick, I think we're actually in a better place now, even though it's very sad what's going on in COVID-19, that even two or three years ago or 10 years ago, each one of us as professionals might have been in a minority of one person out of 50 and not even have anyone to talk to, but now, Because people from various aspects, whether it's the media, economics, banking, um, in the political sphere, in education and health, we're all now connecting in various organizations in every country in the world. And we now realize that what has been going on for the last 20, 30 years is that people have been deceived to and lied to. And essentially, the whole uh, system has been manipulated within countries and in the international organization to undermine people's health undermine the media, free speech and undermine the rule of law and accountability.
0: The, the gentleman you look up to a lot, a uh, different field of science So, uh, Dr Patrick Moore, said that yes. uh, in science uh, a narrative has got no place, consensus has got no place, it's theory and discussion. What's happened to the science at the moment? It seems to be all narrative and all consensus, but what makes science so great has just been wiped off the planet.
1: Yes, and it's amazing. I know you've talked to Dr. Patrick Moore, and I was just saying to you, he's been one of my heroes for about 15 years, and I have, you know, been studying what's happened with carbon dioxide and how they've used that to bring in Agenda 21 and undermine how our societies function, including uh, in rural areas. And it, it, you know, it actually this whole Agenda 21 is based on another huge lie of carbon dioxide. And that has been infiltrated into the universities, the political establishment, the planning, the housing, really every aspect of um, our society. And it's entirely based on something that is the opposite of what is the truth. So I think that a lot of people like Dr. Patrick Moore and me and many scientists have actually been saying that science is about challenging. And that's why, you know, someone like me who's supporting academic freedom is also a complete advocate for freedom of speech and open debate and critical debate because you only learn in science, you know, if none of us are right all of the time, but you cannot be offended if somebody says, actually, Dolores, you know, you are wrong about that. You might be right about 70%. And then you have a good old, you know, debate and people challenge and then they present their results. And if their arguments are better and it's true, then that's how science grows from one week to the next, one day to the next, you know, from one new technology that could be um, developed and can completely overturn areas of science. So anyone who's coming around trying to uh, clamp down on uh, freedom of speech and open debate, and when you hear the words like we hear every day, including in the European Union and the United Nations and in all these globalist organizations, consensus and science together, you know that they are trying to um, stop open debate, which is the lifeblood of science. So I agree entirely with uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, who's one of my heroes. And he has very eloquently and graciously and honorably uh, been exposing the lies that underpin uh, carbon dioxide, which is you know, been railroaded through by Agenda 21 for the last 30 years. And I suppose a lot of us would have honed our critical analysis of how lies can be perpetuated throughout international organizations, including the EU and the United Nations and the WHO. And the globalists think that the bigger the lie, you know, that they will get away with it. And that's why many of us have been looking at this for 20 years, that COVID-19 is another, you know, not one person needed to die if the life-saving prevention and treatments were made available. And people like Nobel Prize winning Michael Levitt was studying this in January and there were thousands of doctors and thousands, you know, of newspaper articles and reports that there was prevention and treatment. So essentially, the individual politicians and media and the heads of the civil service you know, and the medical authorities in each country, probably 20 people in each country. If any one of them in their position was, we'll say, like the attorney general or the prime minister or the head of these science advisory bodies or the the minister for health in each of these countries, if any of one of them had said, wait a minute, there are prevention and treatment. I am going to stand up for my people and the people of our nation and our countries, they would have saved the lives of thousands of people. So the people that are in power now will be held to account. And these kind of crimes collectively are contributory manslaughter. They are malfeasance or misconduct in public office uh, and up to treason. And in each country, you know, the top 20 people, including in the media, will be prosecuted. It might take 10, 20, 30 years, but history will be able to identify exactly who they are. And they will be held to account.
0: Interesting how the media, the government, the medical elite, the medical mafia, uh, all put out one you know, again narrative: no place in science. And I have friends who say, uh, you know, we've spoken to Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, Dr. Pierre Cory, uh, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, and others, and their credentials are second to none. And the uh, the consensus, again, no place in science from the, the uh, general public, is they're wackos. They you know, don't know what they're talking about. We've read nothing about it. And it's quite debilitating. I mean, I spoke to Dr. Pierre Corey about how he was feeling about all this. And he said he would get pains in the chest when people were dying for no reason. They could save them and uh, they were you know, basically going to hospital, uh, blue in the face almost, because there's no early treatment allowed, and they would um, just perish. Um, terrible situation, isn't it? The, uh, the lies, and uh, it's very emotional, because I feel a bit emotional now that the lies is just terrible.
1: Yes, and I think it is more than terrible. I suppose we're actually seeing it every day, you know, that, for example, all across you know, the countries in the world, But including in Ireland, there are people with symptoms of cancer that are not getting treated because the hospitals are delaying treatment when, you know, all of the health system or a significant proportion of it is turned to testing for an entirely preventable and treatable illness um, that people don't have symptoms for. Mm. So I know for a fact that people are dying of heart attack and stroke. Um, and cancer every day in our country and through the anxiety and stress and the poverty that is resulting from the lockdown and and this is all entirely unnecessary so I would say about 50 percent of our societies are entirely aware of what is going on and probably one in three you know 30 percent or 20 percent of people have been aware from the very beginning they have seen this unfold almost in slow motion and seen the harm and the death that is caused, including by individual police, Um, you know, in a way going along with it by forcing people to wear masks or not allowing people to access the hospital without coerced medical treatment or PCR testing. So each one of those uh, people who have made a decision I will keep my job, but I will actually infringe on the rights of people for freedom of speech, freedom of travel, bodily integrity, that in a way the truth resonates. And so they are making a decision every day that they regret, I would say, every day. They know it's wrong because they are having to coerce or handcuff or bully or force or deny people, you know, access to a shop or Um, threaten people really on the day-to-day. And this is not a sustainable situation. So I think it was Mahatma Gandhi said, you know, that tyrants um, and tyranny may look like it's going to last forever, but it always uh, fails. It's always defeated. So really, the people who are doing harm by saying to people, you have to wear a mask, who are actually forcing PCR testing on, you know, including on children, on elderly, which is entirely unnecessary, Um, and the doctors and the healthcare professionals and the politicians and the media that are not giving prevention and treatments and thereby locking grandmothers and grandfathers and the elderly as prisoners in the care home, denying them seeing their grandchildren and their brothers and sisters, and allowing them to go out and get fresh air, that this will stay with them. The wrong that they're doing will stay with them for the rest of their lives. And they are making a wrong decision every day. They are infringing on people's inalienable rights of bodily integrity, of freedom to travel, and freedom of speech. And this for thousands of years is how our society can work is in an open and free society, and these rights and freedoms belong to us and We are seeing people doing wrong and evil every day and um, I have great hope that truth will resonate, the truth will come out they can't censor us. millions of people are dedicating their lives to this, and uh, that we will hold people to account you know, and we should have great hope because the This kind of lies and deceit have been happening in the world for hundreds of years, really. It actually started in 1534. A landmark year was the year 1666. And we have seen many turning points, you know, where this process has been implemented, including in 1913 and in the period before, you know, from 1937 to 1950, when all of these international organizations were set up. And even in 1666, the end of 2025 was a pivotal year, because it's 360 years uh, from 1666 to 2026. And that is a full revolution, 360 degrees, and that is the Great Reset. So there is a historical significance, but many generations have been lied to and deceived for decades, if not hundreds of years. And we are the first generation that can actually expose the lies. And while we are looking at the healthcare system now, and people might think this is about COVID-19, the real system that's going on is around the rule of law and access to justice in combination with the democratic process uh, within our individual nations and also the financial and banking industry. So, Um, You know, COVID-19, while it is tragic, is a distraction from the culmination of the Great Reset that has been going on uh, and is planned to go on until the end of 2025. In
0: Australia, the Victorian government commissioned a paper published in October 2020. It was called Antibody Dependent Enhancement and SARS-CoV-2 Vaccines and Therapies. Can you tell us what issues are in this uh, paper and what it raises?
1: Yes, I suppose this is just going back to the issue of the immune system that I mentioned and that I spoke about in detail in May uh, 2020. And that is, again, that it raises the exact same issue that in all of the studies where they previously had tried to solve or make a vaccine using mRNA, including for dengue and for RSV, uh, respiratory syncytial virus, and in previous coronaviruses, that the mRNA in plain English made people so sick, well, and the animal studies or in babies and people that they, there were some adverse events and chronic fatigue after the injection, but when they were exposed to the RSV or the dengue or in this case, coronavirus, uh, all of, half of the animals or up to all of the animals within a short period after exposure got sick and died and therefore, none of these mRNA injections or vaccinations were ever licensed because they essentially made people sick and died, or they made the animals sick and died. And I came out in May 2020, gave the significant papers in the research, said that there was prevention and treatment available. We don't need any measure of the lockdown, and we certainly do not need these mRNA vaccines. It's entirely unnecessary. And I actually volunteered that I would take responsibility in Ireland or in any country in the world for the decision to end the lockdown and make prevention and treatment available. And I specifically said things like vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, hydroxychloroquine and zinc um, and ivermectin. And I I said that I would put my reputation on the line uh, for those decisions. And I previously worked in the EU. Uh, and in Ireland, and have advised many countries around the world, I know how advising governments work. Um, and I said I would take the responsibility for the consequences if I was wrong. And I also highlighted that for every year of the lockdown in every country, that on average, everybody in the country will have one year shorter to live because of the harm of the societal, mental health and economic consequences. And this is, in fact, everything that I said, Um, over a year ago now has turned out to be correct.
0: You've talked about medical malfeasance and the extent of censorship around early treatment of COVID-19. Can you see any authorities or big tech being held to account legally and how this could come about?
1: So this is a very good question and I suppose what we've been doing, I've been studying the law for 12 years. Um, And even though my background is as a professor in in immunology and in molecular biology, I was really aware since 1997 and particularly since 2002, the first SARS, uh, when I really took a good look at the vaccines that realizing that they were causing huge adverse events that was not been properly reported or addressed. I then started to research how would you hold people to account? And to do that, you have to do it using the rule of law. And the issue around vaccines and injections come under the area of law that we have rights to bodily integrity, which means that our nobody can do anything to our body. They cannot, you know, inject you. They can't do an operation without your full and informed consent. And you can only give full and informed consent if whoever wants to do something, for example, a doctor or a nurse goes through in great detail all of the potential benefits of an intervention, a medical intervention, but all of the adverse events and harm, and there are precedent legal cases like the Montgomery judgment in the United Kingdom, that even if the harm um, is very rare, the doctor is required to inform the person. So in this case, it would be in relation to especially this is a clinical trial, and you cannot enroll people in clinical trial without going through all of the adverse events which have been known, you know, which include heart attack and death and stroke um, and tremors. And so why this is related to holding people to account is that there is no indemnity as is communicated in the media because this comes in an area of law which is under national, natural law and, and constitutional law and the rule of law Which the basis is that harm is done by one man or woman to another man or woman directly, and that there is no indemnity and individual people are responsible for their actions. So, for example, we would have the harm of a prime minister that is not uh, making, you know, in telling people that there is prevention, but also harm is done by the person actually piercing the skin with the needle if they they are personally responsible in their private capacity. So if you are a doctor or a nurse, um, they can be held to account by the person who has the adverse event or the family of the people that die. They can write under a notice of liability. So you don't need to get the courts involved. And you would just write to say, dear Mike, if you were the doctor, uh, did you give full and informed consent to my loved one? And if you did, where is the signed form? Now, if the doctor or nurse uh, cannot show that information, they are then guilty of a crime of battery, which in Ireland is five years in prison. In, yeah, five years in prison because they've actually uh, breached their oath. They did not give full informed consent. And then the doctors can be struck off. But also the family members can sue the doctor and their medical insurance Um, And they will be seen to be liable because if they don't have the information, um, that is a crime. And they can be held to account. You don't have to go to the court. And we have been writing in Ireland to the uh, chief statistics office, the coroners, the doctors. um, And also more recently, I've been writing to the attorney general and the chief of police uh, to ask them, because in a lot of our countries, the law is not properly constituted because it infringes on our inalienable rights of freedom of travel, bodily integrity, freedom of assembly, free speech and that would be known to be unlawful and therefore the attorney general for example in Ireland and the president are guilty of criminal and unlawful behavior and actually because of the harm that's caused there is no indemnity for them so it's called malfeasance and malfeasance in public office which is a common law crime Uh, in Ireland and the United Kingdom and in the 57 Commonwealth countries. There is also people can be charged with that for decades. There is no term limit. And malfeasance is that people in public office, like the Attorney General in Ireland and the President, that they have restricted our travel or tried to. And that is an absolute crime because we have inalienable rights of freedom of travel. But they can then be sued by everybody who has their travel infringed in their personal and private capacity for the decades to come. And also they can be sued for the harm, loss or injury directly. There is no indemnity and malfeasance in public office means that there is a special um, onus on them. Malfeasance is they knew or they should have known. And that's why many of us have been taking all of the articles and all of the newspaper articles showing there was prevention and treatment so that our Prime Minister, it was Dr. Leo Vradker, or the current uh, Prime Minister here, Michal Martin, and in every country around the world, that we are taking cases against them. And I'm very honoured to be working with Lawyers for Liberty in the United Kingdom, that they um, are making a case for the United Kingdom to bring it to the uh, International Criminal Court in The Hague. I'm also supporting the Canadian uh, submission to the Crimes Against Humanity Tribunal, and there are also juries and grand juries in England and across the United Kingdom in 2021. And I'm also working and very honoured to work with Michael O'Bernicea again in England. And he's taking, uh, with Michael uh, Mark, the retired police, a criminal complaint against the Prime Minister and the Minister for Health, Matt Hancock, in the United Kingdom. So I think people involved in these offices think that they will... You know, not actually be held to account. But when the ordinary people, you know, about half of us are aware of what's going on is criminal and unlawful. Uh, But when the rest of the population realize that they have been locked into their homes, that children have been wearing masks that are making them sick, and that their grandparents have died alone and have not seen, you know, their grandchildren or their grand aunts and uncles, and that they will also, that we will hold these people to account, obviously upholding the law in each of our countries and ensuring that the evidence is presented in the court of law. Um, But people will not get away with this. And really, we are waking up from decades of lies and deceit that all of us in our countries have uh, had to live under for the last uh, all our lives, really.
0: I suppose the the, the normal way of uh, discovering what is happening is to go to the media. Uh, We know what position the media takes, and we've talked about that. Uh, then you would go to, you know, social media, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, a number of other websites, uh, to, to find out about, you know, what the other side of the story is. Well, Joe Biden uh, has come out and said that he supports big tech censorship because this misinformation that's been bandied around needs to needs to stop. Just stop telling these stories. And the same thing with uh, our Prime Minister Morrison, who after church one day said that you know, the real culprits here are those on social media spreading misinformation. I put to you, uh, Professor, that the misinformation is from mainstream media. The misinformation is from the government. The misinformation is from big tech.
1: Yes, I suppose. So, what I, I would be an advocate for free speech, right? Mm. And for academic freedom. And essentially, anyone who has to censor uh, their opponent or people who disagree with them have actually lost the debate. And what we see, particularly in uh, English speaking societies, is that the universities, the media, and the politicians are trying to undermine free speech and open debate uh, for 20, 30 years. And they are for. They're trying to say that being challenged and having to defend your actions and policies, um, that that is something that we should not support. But really, essentially what they are doing um, is silencing people who disagree with them. And they are funding international organizations against their own people to prevent the people who pay their salaries and their pensions, who work hard to pay taxes, uh, to essentially Keep from them in a sinister and coercive manner information that will keep them and their loved ones healthy. So it is actually one of the most sinister, uh, you know, collusion between uh, international big business and the people that are elected but misrepresenting that they are doing things to care for people in Ireland or Australia when in fact they are causing the death of our loved ones by denying them life-saving information that simple you know some of the safest prevention and treatments in the world vitamin D C ivermectin Nobel prize winning And on the World Health Organization, you know, there are many, I think, more than 20 uh, licensed and approved preventions and treatments, but including hydroxychloroquine and zinc and ivermectin. So I think uh, what I've been saying to the globalists is that the game is up. They're either like one in three or half of their electorate are now aware of what they're doing. They have all their quotes. They have the information. And these crimes of manslaughter, of mass murder, of contributory manslaughter, of malfeasance and misconduct as a public service, as an elected public official, uh, these are all, you know, will follow them for the rest of their lives, um, and they should be ashamed. And to the globalists, I would say the game is up. I'm very proud to be president of the World Freedom Alliance and we have over 110 countries now engaged with us, Um, and I'm president of the World Doctors' Alliance, there's over 150,000 medical professionals, Um, and we are already building the world of new and free media. We have got in the World Freedom Alliance, you know, a pillar or focus group for helping people around the world to organize, to get elected, Um, and we have all of the top doctors and lawyers in the world and economists and bankers and innovators. So there is a new world, for example, the clear phones by Michael Proper in America, where people's data is private um, and they cannot be tracked. And I'm very honored to be co-founder of Freedom Airways, where we are developing and helping people to travel around the world where their bodily integrity and freedom of travel uh, is protected. So I would say to the globalists, the game is up. Um, And they have been manipulating the banking industry and the insurance industry, the financial industry. They've been using our money uh, to bribe essentially the politicians and the media. But it's actually, you know, ordinary people, all they want is to have uh, nutritious food and clean water and the truth. And they want good quality education. They don't want to be they don't want their children to be manipulated and lied to. Uh, in their education, all the way from, let's say, four-year-old to the degree. And we want to uphold the tenets that have really allowed our societies to function best, which are very simple, freedom of speech, freedom of travel, bodily integrity, that people have, you know, rights not to be interfered with in their family home, that the family is the basic structure of society, um, and that people have the right to assemble Uh, to discuss issues, to stand for election, to not be interfered with uh, if they have not committed a crime and that people who work for us and pay, you know, through our taxes, they are oath takers and they have to uphold the law and they cannot infringe on those inalienable rights and freedoms. And people also have to have the freedom to earn a living and to work and engage peacefully. And a lot of these, the globalists are trying to undermine our societies, by coercion, by using, in some cases, the police and the army against us, and the medical profession. And what we're saying is all of those people are our brothers and sisters. It is time now for them to walk away. There will be consequences for everyone engaged in this. They will not get away with it.
0: Now, you have a very well-behaved dog. It's very late there. You have patted the dog, we're very impressed. We have one, one last thing, uh, Professor. Um just a one word answer to these to these uh names. Okay. First one Boris Johnson.
1: I had expected better from him.
0: It's more than one word, but you're forgiven. Uh
1: disappointed, I would say, disappointed.
0: Uh George Soros.
1: Um I wouldn't like to be with him when he's on his deathbed. You know, I'd say one word for him would be um Criminal Fauci Um I would say duplicitous and criminal
0: Joe Biden
1: um, unfortunate
0: and the World Health Organization
1: I would say deceitful
0: Professor Dolores Cahill thank you very much for your time spend some time with your, your dog now what's the dog's name by the way
1: so it's a Newfoundland dog, and his name is Poggin, and my beautiful daughter, it's her birthday tomorrow as well, so in a few hours here as well, Um they're all asleep with my husband and everything, so it is quite late here, so, mm. but, you know, thank you very much, Mike, and to thank everybody as well in Australia, I've had huge support, and if they want to find out more information, maybe my website is DoloresCahal.com, uh, and we're starting a movement here, which is Custodian.com, which is trying to give people information about, you know, local food and water and community banking and to engage with politics. And then the other websites are the uh, worlddoctorsalliance.com and the worldfreedomalliance.org and freedomairways.com as well.
0: Professor, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, A little bit emotional for me too. And um, I think uh, you're just a wonderful person.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. And we'll talk again. Take care.
0: Professor Dolores Cahill, and what an inspiration. That's it for Asia Pacific Today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Mike
1: Ryan.